morning. So good to um, see everyone's faces here this morning. Uh, how's everyone's week been? Good? Good. I had a, um, something really concerning happen this week, actually. Uh, I caught myself singing along to the wiggles in the shower. It's kind of like, do the propeller, do... And I was like, man, I have got issues. And I just gave away my number one uh, parenting tip. If all else fails, the wiggles won't fail you. But I, I have to admit, I prefer the OG wiggles. It's not the same without Jeff. Jeff, yeah. Um, but hey, if you're just joining us today, uh, we're in week three of a series we've been doing for three weeks uh, called The Kingdom of God. And this series is all about this biblical idea that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we turn and follow him, we become citizens of his kingdom. We become part of what he's doing here on earth. And as citizens of this new kingdom, we, we take on a different set of values. We take on a new worldview. He invites us into a new way of doing and being. And across this series, we're going to be exploring just what that is. And it sort of centers on a, a famous teaching of Jesus. In fact, his only recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the sermon, he kind of outlines this new manifesto, this new way of life, this new way of being as citizen kingdom. So that's what we're, that's what we're looking at. And, and more specifically, we're focusing on the first eight sentences of that sermon, which are commonly known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are eight conditional blessings, eight different things that Jesus invites us into, that if we engage in them, the product is a blessed life. So we've covered two so far. Uh, the first one was all about being dependent on God, all about recognizing that we're insufficient without Him. And so to be dependent on Him was the first Beatitude. The second one was actually, um, was actually the emotional attachment to that. It was to experience this morning of who we are without Christ. And when we experience this morning, it turns us to repent and find life. So that was last week. Uh, and this week is the third one. But before I get into that, I just want to pray. So if you just join with me. Uh, Lord... Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you that it is active. Today, Lord, we open our hearts to your word. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach each of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So beatitude number three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I'm going to start with the back half of that verse. They shall inherit the earth. Uh, that, that was a term, like it can also be rendered, they shall inherit the land. It was a term that I'd use in Jewish culture um, that would denote a great blessing. To inherit the land was to inherit what God had promised. So what Jesus is saying is that when we take on this attitude of meekness, that is when we inherit God's promises. So the question is, what does it mean to be meek? And uh, th this, this word meek, it's a lot different in the biblical sense as opposed to our, our English word meek. You know, it's, it's from the Greek word perus. I think I said that right, perus. But typically when I think of the word meek, we can think of like a lack of courage. We can think of timidity. We can think of shyness. We can think of being passive. But actually the biblical idea behind this word meek, it means power under control. It means power under control. Like an analogy is a strong stallion 
that instead of running wild, does what it's trained to do. I love this quote by Jeffrey Wilson. He says, meekness is the mark of a person who has been mastered by God. So to be meek is not to be passive. It's not to be silent in the face of injustice. God calls us to do that. It's not to lack confidence. God wants us to be confident. But it's actually to cloak ourselves with humility. It's to take on an attitude of gentleness. It's to take on an attitude where we give preference to other people. It's to be submissive and yielding to God. That is what it means to be meek. And I think the best way to understand this word is actually to look at some of the people who are described with this characteristic. This is what it says of Moses in Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. You know, in a lot of other translations, it uses the word humble. The man Moses was very meek. And if you think about him, he was the leader of a country. He delivered an entire people group out of Exodus. He was strong. He was bold. He was courageous. But he was marked by meekness. He was marked by gentleness. He was marked by humility. Paul, the great apostle, says this of himself. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. You see here, we've got the perfect example of strength under control. He was ordained by God. He, he was a great apostle. He was a great leader. He was a powerful person, but he would willingly cloak himself with humility. He would take on the lower seat. He would be gentle and gracious and humble. And I think sometimes I've been thinking about this, sometimes when we think about faith, we can think about these attributes of like assertiveness and power, and and that's true. But the other parts of our character, like gentleness and kindness and meekness and humility are just as important as the overt parts. Most importantly, Jesus himself describes himself as meek. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble, or that's that word, meek, and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus described himself as meek. You know, he had all authority, but he would willingly lay that down and he would take on a posture of gentleness, of meekness or humility out of love for the other person. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we need to adopt that same posture. So I want to talk today about four things we can do to actually take on that attitude of meekness. The first thing we need to do is to actually surrender our lives to the Lord. You know, the perception in our world is often that non-meek people are the people that get ahead. People that are wheelers and dealers, people that are aggressive and boisterous and bolshy and hustlers. You know, we see it glorified on on shows like Suits. It's like the, the aggressive lawyer is the one that we aspire to be, the one that if someone gives you an inch, you take a mile. It's kind of this rat race hustle, like uh, take someone for all they're worth. That is the, the, the glorified image of what it means to, to attain success often in our culture. But Jesus actually invites us into something new. This is what it says in Psalms 37. It says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. 
Don't worry about how other people are going about success. Don't worry about uh, the world's mechanisms for achieving. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. See, to be meek, it's to actually not covet or envy or get caught up in what everyone else is doing. It's actually to make it your number one priority just to delight yourself in the Lord. My number one priority is to delight myself in the Lord, to rest my hope fully upon him, to put my life on his hands. And as I delight myself in the Lord, he actually changes my heart and he produces those desires. You know, it can be so easy to fall into the trap of comparison and competition and get caught up in the rat race. But Jesus invites us into something new. I love how he says it in Matthew 6.33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, when we have that as number one, it orders everything else. But when that's not number one, we have a disordered life. And if we, if we really want to figure out if that's number one, we can trace back to what do we make sacrifices for? Because what we make sacrifices for communicates what we value. You know, what, what do we make sacrifices for? Is, is Jesus number one? So to be meek is to surrender our lives to the Lord. The second way to, to adopt an attitude of meekness is to leave your case in God's hands. You know, we live in a culture where it's like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone like cuts you down, it's kind of like, get, get straight back at them. We see it on Facebook all the time and some of like the stuff articles, you can just see this like barrage of insults kind of going back and forth. And I have to admit, it's pretty entertaining, but, it, uh, but it's that, that's kind of the culture. If someone like cuts you off, you want to like beep your horn and flip them the bird. <laughs> but, uh, but it's kind of like you, you want to retaliate. It's, it's almost like part of like, I don't know if it's how humans are wired. When someone like wrongs you, you see it with siblings, there's like a sense of injustice that he needs to know what's right. And um, the thing is, again, is like Jesus actually calls us into something new as, as, as people in his kingdom. You know, a, a super challenging uh, letter from, from the Apostle Peter that I was, I was reading this week. Um, this is what he's saying to them. He's saying to them, uh, he's saying, don't just be, to the people he's writing to, he's saying, don't just be good and noble and honorable to your good masters or in our context to your good employers. But he says, even to the harsh and cruel, be faithful, be honorable, keep a good attitude. Don't lower yourself to their standard. Hold your integrity, and it's super challenging. And, and his uh, justification for this is he points to Jesus, and he says this in 1 Peter 2.23, he says, talking about Jesus, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges faithfully. You know, to be meek is to leave our defense to God. And I don't want this to be confused with not standing up for what's right, because that is biblical too. But it's not to take on an attitude of, I need to enact revenge when that person wronged me. I need to get even. It's actually to take a posture. It's like, I'm actually going to hold to my values. I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to cover over. I'm going to leave God 
to, to judge. Uh, that is what it means to be meek. And uh, a story I love that I found so challenging is a story about a man named Dallas Willard. And this man uh, is known as one of the great Christian minds. He's written a lot of books, uh, many are called Christian classics. And the author of the book I was reading described the story about Dallas Willard. And Dallas was a university lecturer. He was a philosopher at the University of uh, Southern California. And he had a room full of students. And he stood up there at the front and he taught them as he did. And uh, towards the end of the lecture, uh, one, of, one of the students in the room started like aggressively uh, and arrogantly, combative, combatively like challenging what he was saying. Um, going after him, trying to make him look silly in front of the entire class. And it was completely erroneous. It was completely ridiculous. And, and Dallas stood there and, and he just said, hey, um, this might be a good time to finish today. We'll pick this up tomorrow. And then uh, after the lecture, someone came up to him completely outraged. He said, why didn't you put that little, fill in the blank, in his place? He was completely wrong. Why didn't you put him in his place? And uh, Dallas Willard said this. He said, I was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last say. And man, that statement has challenged me so much. I, I believe that looks like Jesus. I was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last say. I was choosing to extend grace. You know, the, the funny thing is Jesus actually takes this a step further. You know, he tells us not only to not retaliate and, and seek vengeance, but he actually asks us to pray for those very people that are offending us, that are wrongly treating us. This is what it says in Matthew 5. This is Jesus talking. A little bit later in the sermon we're studying, he says this, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. How challenging is that? If we only uh, like, if we only are gracious, if we only um, treat people that treat us well, we're no different to anyone else. But Jesus actually calls his followers into a new way of being. He says, those very people, pray for them. You know, and, and I want to put a challenge out. If there's someone that is, uh, has been frustrating you, is there someone at work that might have been annoying you? If there's a family member that, that you can feel in your heart that there's a grievance towards, pray for them. Pray for them. Get on your knees and, and pray for them. And don't just pray those prayers where, where we're kind of like, Lord, change them. Show them they're wrong. <laughs> Cause them to repent. <laughs> but B, thank you, Lord, for the beauty of that person. Thank you that you made them. Thank you that you created them. Lord, awaken me to the goodness inside of them. Lord, help me bless them. Would they thrive? Would it go well with them? Would your grace be upon them? You know, and in doing so, we look like Jesus. You know, meekness produces peace because we don't have to justify ourselves. We just leave it to God. The third way to adopt an attitude of meekness is to be more concerned about others than ourselves. 
This is what it says in Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's talking to the church here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Value others above yourselves. That is, that is what meekness is. It's actually ascribing someone's needs as higher value than your own needs, where, it's, where you start to think less about yourself and more about others. You know, that's essentially uh, the lifestyle of Jesus. And, and I've been pondering this, like he came to empower, to release, to bless, to, to push other people up. Uh, and I've been pondering, how do we actually do this? And I think the secret is we can't do this until we know how much God loves us. We can't empower others. We can't bless others. We can't truly want others to succeed and thrive above us if we're not secure in God's love for us first. Because then we need, we're, we're always needing something. We're always needing approval. But once we actually realize that through Jesus' grace, there's not a single thing we can do to add to his salvation. There's not a single thing we can do to take away from it. When we're secure in his love for us and his plan for us, it actually releases us just to be focused on others. Because we know how much he loved us. He died for us. We know how much He cares about us. We know He's got a plan for us. We know that that love is unchanging. And when we're rooted in that, it's like, man, I can be just focused on loving others. And, and it's the freest place to live. The final point, the final way to adopt an attitude of meekness is to receive God's word with a humble heart. This is what it says in James 1.21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, love that King James English, <laughs> and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know, there's actually a posture that we have to take to receive God's word. You know, Jesus talks about it in a parable. He says we can have a hard heart and the word can't even penetrate it. He says we, ha we can have a shallow heart where it doesn't take root in our lives. We can have a compromised heart where, where that word can get choked out. But James is saying here is the appropriate posture is to have a meek heart, to have a humble heart, to have an open heart, to have a yielding heart, to have a teachable heart. You know, and, and as I was thinking about this, what that means, it means to approach God's word. When you hear God's word, it's actually to approach it and lay down your opinions, lay down your preconceived ideas, lay down your, what you think should be right and be like, hey, I'm willing to leave this with a change in mindset if what I'm believing is different to what God's word says. I'm willing to be corrected by this. I'm willing to leave the table different. You know, because I've been thinking about this, that uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced a, a conversation where you've been sitting down with someone and you've been trying to reach a resolution and within about 30 seconds, you know that the conversation was a waste of time um, because that person has already made up their mind and it doesn't matter what, and sometimes it's us. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what angle you come from. It doesn't matter what you have. It, it's just going nowhere because that person has a fixed view 
on they've already made up their mind. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we do that with God. Sometimes we can hear scriptures and, and, and sometimes we can approach his word, but we can be so close-minded in the sense of what we think it should be or what we think it should say or what culture's conditioned us for what's good that we actually don't allow the word just to teach us. And uh, that's what it means to, 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 to be meek. And by the way, we should also do that in our conversations with others. You know, actually having that meekness where it's like, hey, I'm willing to stand corrected. I'm willing to hear your side of the story. It said at the end of that scripture, it says, receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your souls. You know, it is God's engrafted word that actually saves our souls. It's actually receiving that word that started our salvation experience. And um, I've been thinking about this, and we actually learned a little bit about it in our small group this this week, that salvation is not a one-time experience. Salvation is not a prayer that you say. Uh, it's the start of something and when you confess and you believe into Jesus you are saved but we're also in the process of being saved salvation is an ongoing journey and we will fully be saved when Christ returns but there is a call to actually keep on confessing that truth that we first believed to keep on holding fast to that scriptures to keep on living your life as a follower of Christ Uh, and that is why it's so important that we keep feeding our faith that's why it's so important that we value gathering together. That's why it's so important that we, that we don't neglect uh, the scriptures because there's an ongoing call to believing the message of Jesus. This is Paul in Colossians, and he's actually just explained how, how God is reconciling everything to himself through Jesus. This is what he's saying to, saying to them. He says, this includes you who were once far away from God, You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through death of Christ, through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You know, I think someone needs to hear that this morning that you are holy and blameless regardless of what's going on in your life in your spirit that is unchanging and you are holy and blameless without a single fault as you stand before the Lord that that is your new nature and that is how you're wired to live and as we believe that it produces that but Paul continues on he says but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news like we need to continue to believe that truth. We need to continue to walk in that truth. You know, it's, it's right believing that produces right living. As we just continue to believe the truth about what God says about us, about what Jesus accomplished for us, we walk in victory. Now, if I could just have the, the worship team back up. Mm. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It is the meek that inherit the blessing of God. Um, And if we just want to stand to our feet, that would be cool. It is the meek that inherit the blessing of God. And so uh, as a community, um, let's posture ourselves like that. Let's Let's take the posture of meekness towards God and make it our number one desire to delight in Him and order our lives around Him 
at the top. Let's be meek in our relationships with others, choosing to extend grace as Jesus extended it to us, leaving our defense in God's hands. Let's humbly approach his word, humbly, and let it transform us. And I just want to finish by praying over us as a community. I want to invite the Holy Spirit uh, to, to speak to each of us. And if this is spoken to you and, uh, and you're like, man, I, I need to shift my attitude around that, the Holy Spirit's just waiting to, to partner with you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your amazing grace. I thank you that when you hung up on that cross, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is your nature. That is your character. And Lord, I thank you that you call us into this place of freedom where we're so rooted in your love and grace that we don't have to get even. We don't have to compete. We don't have to compare. But we can humbly and gently and meekly love those around us we can allow you to change us from the inside out by your grace. So Lord, I just lift up every person in this room this morning, myself included. And Holy Spirit, I really pray for your presence upon us. Would you refresh us this morning? Would you lead us into the way of truth? Lord, even as we've, we've learned about not holding grudges, praying for those that, that hurt us. Lord, if there's, if there's a forgiveness that needs to be released this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give each of us the grace to forgive and bless those that have offended us. Would we walk in your likeness? I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.